I was reading an article this week that told me that um, genealogy websites are among the most frequented websites on the internet. And the market, the market for DNA testing is booming. As you can tell, uh, as you watch television and the commercials for DNA testing pop up again and again and again. Now, a few years ago, the, the research for these type of things was shabby, and, and, people was, and people were receiving all kind of bogus and faulty information. But however, today, beloved, the research is much more reliable, and since it is much more reliable, it is costly. It is costly. In fact, the article said that people are spending anywhere between $1,000 and $18,000 a year just to discover his or her roots. And this type of research has been fueled oftentimes by the popularity of such shows as Finding Your Roots with um, Henry Louis Gates or um, that show I think is on TLC. My wife could tell you she watches that kind of stuff. Long Lost Family. Is that what it's called? See, told you. I just come on and I see people on there crying and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Where's the ball game? <laughs> but knowing who you are in this world is important, beloved. Indeed it is. But I want to suggest to you this morning that knowing who you are in Christ is priceless. Absolutely priceless. Who you are in this world may help you today. But knowing who you are in Christ is going to help you today. It's going to help you tomorrow. It's going to help you forevermore. This is the message that the New Testament is teaching us. As you read through the New Testament, the message that the test New Testament is teaching us over and over again is for us to understand what it means for us to be in Christ. To have our identity in Christ. To know who we are in light of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. This is the message of the New Testament. And in particular this morning, this is the message of the first epistle of the Apostle Peter. You can know who you are in Christ. Beloved you can know who you are in Christ this morning, and it is free. Now, if you want to give a little offering when, they, when that thing comes around, that's fine. That's, I encourage you to do that. But the information that the Scripture gives us about who we are and I, I, our identity in Christ, beloved, it is free. And who are we? Well, we've learned, and Peter reminds us again this morning, that we are exiles, that we are elect, that we are different, and that we are eternally blessed. But did you get that? We are exiles. 
We are elect. We are different. And we are eternally blessed. Peter tells us we are exiles. He begins this, his epistle with these words, right? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. He's writing to those who have been dispersed. He's writing to those who have experienced being exiled, being kicked out, as it were, from their homes, being experiencing the persecution and being reminded that they are foreigners, that they are sojourners in this world. In fact, that's what he says, right, in chapter 2 and verse 11. He writes to them and he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. We are exiles, beloved. Exiles, strangers, and foreigners in this world. The reality is, is that God's people have been exiles, have long been exiles, have long been foreigners, have long been strangers in this world. Ever since sin entered into the world, God's people have been out of place. We've been out of place. We've been exiled. Ever since sin entered the picture, we have not been the place, we have not been at home, we have not been in the place that God intends for us to be. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, the Bible tells us what Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. They were created to exist in paradise, in unadulterated communion with God, sin came and they were exiled. And ever since then, beloved, God's people have been exiled. Abraham was exiled, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. He was exiled from his homeland and from his people. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 28 that Joseph and his family were exiled. They were exiled in Egypt. Israel, as a nation, the Bible tells us, was exiled in Babylon. They were exiled in Assyria. Jesus, Jesus was exiled everywhere he went, from the womb to the tomb. He was in exile, beloved. From the manger, because there was no place in the end. To the cross, where the sinless Son of God was murdered as a common thief. Today we remain so. It's important to understand, beloved. Today, today we are still asking what the psalmist asked in Psalm 137 and verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? When this world is not our home, as comfortable, as comfortable as we try to make it, 
and as appealing as it seems, we must remember this present world is not our goal. It's not. As nice as it seems at times and as, and as pleasing, as appealing as it tries to be, we must remember like Jacob in Genesis chapter 47 and verse 29 when he called his son Joseph to him and he said, Son, when I die, don't you leave my bones in Egypt. I don't belong here. I don't care how nice it's been. I don't care how many privileges, Joseph, you have. Don't leave my bones here. Because this is not my home. We're in exile, Joseph. And you and I, beloved, we have to always remember that we are in exile. As much as I love East Point, this city is not my goal. That's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 tells us, that we are exiles, beloved, and strangers on this earth. And we are not looking for East Point, but like the saints of old who lived their whole lives in this exilic existence, we are looking for another city. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, and you read there what is called the Hall of Faith, the thing that all of those listed had in common is that this world was not their home. They were always hoping and looking and longing for another reality because they lived their lives in exile. And so do we, beloved. And this, this, this then is what unites us in Christ. As he was exiled, so we are exiled. But we are exiled together, beloved. We are exiled together in Christ. This world is not our home. But in Christ, all of us, together we find a home. I am one, beloved. I am one with all those who find a home in him. So what does that mean? That means that as Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 reminds us, that we may be foreigners and strangers in this world, but we are not foreigners and strangers to each other. We are in exile, but we are journeying together. We are pilgrims on the road together. You may be exiled in the city. You may be exiled in the field. And you may be exiled in the valley and in the hills, but so am I. And we journey together. So that we are no longer foreigners and strangers when we come here. But we are brothers and sisters. And we are fellow citizens in the household of God. 
because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Exiled from the world. Home in Jesus. That's who you are. We're exiled. We're not just exiled. The Bible says we are also elect. Right? Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter calls them elect exiles. He doesn't just call them exiles. He says you are elect exiles. And then he reminds us that we in Christ, in chapter 2 and verse 9, that unity that we experience in being in exile is the fact that we are a chosen people, an elect people. And we have this in common, beloved, because he says in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says that he and those Christians who are in Babylon, those Christians who are in the Roman church are what? Likewise elect. Likewise elect. I like, I like how Peter describes us. Because elect is one of Peter's favorite way to speak about Christians. The elect. The elect. And perhaps this is because he knows above most, beloved, how gracious and sovereignly he was chosen by Christ. How he was by the sea fishing, had no mind for the things of Jesus. And Jesus came along and says, you come follow me. He knows experientially what it means to be chosen by Christ. And how gracious and how good and how beautiful that is. And so he frequently refers to the saints as, we're the elect. We're the elect. So you just got to love it. Love it when he says, likewise, elect. You're elect, likewise, we are elect. Meaning that we have been chosen together with you. Through all the mass of humanity that God has determined to set his sovereign electing love upon, you and I are in that number. Together, together. Beloved, the church is made up. The church is made up of a wide range of people. Various cultures, various colors, various ideas. Various ideologies and philosophies. One of the most important things that we have in common is that we are elect in Jesus Christ. It's important to understand a couple things about this election. And the first one is, is that election is God's prerogative. This is important to understand. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul said, as God's chosen people. God's chosen people. 
And Peter reminds us of that, that those in Christ are in Christ because we are chosen by God. Chosen by God. Because election is God's prerogative. God chooses whom he will choose. God chooses not because of some external influences. God chooses according to his own sovereign, eternal will. And he chooses, beloved. He chooses some for salvation and he chooses not others. He chooses some for eternal life and he doesn't choose others. He chose Isaac and not Ishmael. He chose Jacob and not Esau. He chose Moses and not Pharaoh. He chose David and not Saul. He chose Peter and not Judas. Peter reminds us then. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. That like Christ, we are those who are rejected by men. We are those who are rejected in this world. But we are chosen by God. We are God's collective. We are those upon whom God has set his affection, those upon whom God had determined would receive his grace and mercy according to Ephesians chapter 1 and 4, before he even created the world. He set his love upon us. This is wonderful news, beloved. Election, election is a biblical doctrine that does what all biblical doctrines should do. And that is, it gives glory to God and it is good for his people. It gives glory to God and it brings encouragement and goodness to the, to the souls of God's people. Because not only is election the prerogative of God, but in that sense then, it marks out God's people. Election says we belong to him. We belong to him. We're his. Paris, that's where the encouragement comes from, beloved. We belong to him. We're his. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. It says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? God's elect. See, we belong to him. He's responsible for us. That's good news. We're God's choice. God loves his people, beloved, and he has loved us with this everlasting love, and this is our identity. Who are you? I belong to God. I am his. And Peter says this right in chapter 2 and verse 9, that we are a chosen race, that we are a people for his own possession. It's encouraging. 
I mean, if you think about that long enough, beloved, it will not only be encouraging, it will be emboldening. If you think about it long enough, it would not only be encouraging, it would not only be emboldening, but it will become a source of pride. And that's why you need to step back a little bit. And though God did choose us, he didn't choose us because we were so choosable. God is not like us. We choose our spouses because we see something attractive in them. We choose our friends because we see something appealing in them to us. We choose our churches because there is something comfortable and convenient and encouraging about it. God is not like us, beloved. God chose us not because he saw something in us worth choosing, but he chose to love the unlovable. He chose us, beloved. So that as it says in 2 Peter chapter 9, chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10, so that we <clears throat> might now show forth the excellencies of the one who called us where he found us in darkness, that he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He chose us where he found us, lost and wandering without a home, no one or nothing to belong to, who were once not a people, but now you belong to God. God's people. Once who knew nothing of the mercy of God, but now have received his mercy. That's who you are. You are elect. You are exiled. But we are also different. And if we're exiles and we're elect, beloved, that, nece that necessitates that we be different. And we are. And this is what Peter is driving home again and again. We're different. And we're, we're different. And we need to realize that he who called us has called us to be different. Chapter 2 and verse 11 through 12, beloved, says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as those foreigners and sojourners in this world, as the elect exiles of God, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. To this world, to this world, we are strange. And we need be. We need be, beloved. We are unlike this world. We are exiles, we are elect, and therefore our lives should reflect the grace of the one who has called us. Our lives should reflect the fact that we are different. We're different. We eat differently, right? We eat differently. Chapter 2, verse 2. First Peter, 
like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, the pure milk of the word. This is our nourishment. We eat differently than the world does. We don't just eat anything the world is offering. We're different. We're like Daniel. Right in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Who was in exile? And while in exile, was offered to eat all that the king had to offer him. And what did Daniel say? But Daniel resolved that he would deny, he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. We don't feed upon the same thing that this world feeds upon. The world wants to feed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But we eat a different food. We don't eat fast food. We don't eat cold food. We don't eat old food. We eat soul food. Soul food. Food that nourishes our soul. As Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, we feed upon every word that comes from the mouth of God. That, beloved, is my food. That is my drink. That is my desire all the day long. Feed me bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. We eat differently. But not only do we eat differently, beloved, but Peter reminds us that we live differently. We just live different from this world. Chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Okay, time out, time out. Time is past for living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised, it says, when you do not join them. I fear, beloved, I fear, I fear that there are very few people in our lives who are really surprised at us. Because when the time comes, we just join right in. We talk a good talk, but when the time comes, we don't walk the walk. And they're not surprised because that's how they live. But the Bible says they should be surprised. They are surprised when you do not join them. They are surprised when you do not engage in the same flood of debauchery and they will malign you then. And there was a time, there was a time, the apostle says here, the scripture says here, there was a time when you lived 
like them, when you live lives in the world. But he says, we don't live like that anymore. We are elect. We are exiles. And therefore, we are different. We don't live like that anymore. And so your friends at some point should say or notice that there's just something different about her. Where you been, girl? I've been calling. She should know there is something different about you. Because there is, there is, beloved, there is. We live differently. Before, we were just living for the weekend. And now we're living for eternity. That's different. We live our lives different. This is what the Apostle Peter told us, right? Remember over and over again, we are those who live in submission. We live in submission to authority, both the good and the bad. That's different, beloved. That is different. People love, encouraged to live in submission to those they voted for. They rail against those they didn't vote for. The Christian lives in submission to all authority, both good and bad. That is authority in the government. That is authority in the church. That is authority in the home. We live in submission to leadership because we live in submission to one another. And that is because before, you and I were just living for ourselves. But now, we live for Jesus. We live for Christ. We're different, man. We eat differently. We live differently. We suffer differently. We suffer differently, beloved. That's what it says in chapter 4 and verse 16, right? Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory fight God in that name. One thing, beloved, that is the common denominator of all humanity, it is suffering. It is suffering. No human being has ever lived or ever will who will not experience it to some degree or another. I don't care whether that person lived for 100 minutes or 100 years. They experience suffering. And we suffer. As you might recall, as we were going through that portion of Scripture, we suffer because of the fall. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says when Adam sinned, sin passed on to all because we all sinned. Death passed on to all because in Adam all died. Sin and suffering comes as a result of the fall, and it is common to all human beings. From the womb to the tomb, there 
is the plague of sin and suffering because of the fall. We suffer because of the fall, but remember we also suffer because of our own foolishness. Because we make foolish decisions. Because we say foolish things. Because, beloved, because of the sinfulness of our own heart, we suffer because of our own foolish actions. We suffer because of the fall. We suffer because of our own foolishness. But then, as Christians, we also suffer because of our faith. And this is what Peter says right here. We suffer differently. Because we suffer as Christians. And this is different. In this sense, we don't suffer like the world suffers. But we suffer because we believe in Christ. We suffer because we are willing to stand for Jesus. And in this, we suffer but we always know that a better day is coming. Beloved, if your faith causes you to lose out on family, or if it causes you to lose out on friends, or if it causes you to lose even in your finances, the Bible says here, it's going to be all right. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be afraid if you lose family for Jesus. Don't be afraid if you lose friends for Jesus. Don't be afraid if you lose financial opportunities for the sake of Jesus. Because he says in chapter 1 and verse 6, in this you can rejoice. In this you can rejoice. Why? Because though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by these various trials. Right, Miss Tiffany? If necessary, for a little while, you'll be grieved by these trials. Now I get it. While you're going through it, it doesn't seem like a little while. And while you're going through it, it doesn't even seem necessary. Fear not, beloved. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. What Peter reminds us is that this is only for a little while and is only necessary because Jesus is shaking the trees and he's going to rake the leaves and he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, he's going to receive those faithful unto himself. And then you will realize that Jesus did not die in vain, and neither did you suffer some. And at that time, you will discover the most important reality about your identity and that you are eternally blessed. Beloved, there, 
when the Lord returns, that's, that's when you and I will really know what it means to be in Christ. You just hold on. You don't know what it really means yet. But when the Lord returns, you who are in Christ are going to realize just how blessed you are. Because, beloved, at that point, that's all that's going to matter. I don't care what your name is. I don't care where you come from. I don't care how many DNA tests you don't had. I don't care how many genealogical websites you've been on. When the Lord returns, the only thing that matters are who is and who isn't in Jesus. And then Peter says, since that's the case, you are eternally blessed. Eternally blessed. What he says, beloved, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, he begins this epistle with these wonderful blessings that are yours, that are mine in Christ Jesus. The epistle of 1 Peter could easily be called the blessed epistle to us. There's so many blessings in here. Yes, 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 he says. Yes, there is persecution. Yes, there are troubles and trials. Yes, yes, your life will be marginalized. Yes, yes, you will be ostracized. But none of this, none of those troubles, none of those trials, none of those persecutions, beloved, negate the fact or deny the truth of the blessings of God. They are yours. He has bestowed them upon you. He promises to bestow them upon his people. You're eternally blessed. And what are these blessings? Well, we've already talked about one of them, right? In chapter 1 and verse 1, you are chosen by God. Chosen by God. We are the recipients of God's love, beloved. We are the recipients of his affection. He chose you to be saved. During my walk of faith with Jesus Christ, there have been moments in which I have come to the realization of some truth that changed my life. It's only been about three or four of them. But one of them came when I was in Bible college. I'll never forget it, beloved. And I was reading Romans chapter 9. And the Bible says that he has mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he hardens whom he hardens. And it is not to you who will or to you who run, but it is of God who shows mercy. And I realized then that God chose to save me. And it changed my life. You ever, ever, and, and beloved, I don't care how I can talk till I am blue in the face. I cannot press that upon you. The Spirit of God has to do that. 
And when the Spirit of God presses upon you the reality that you have been saved, chosen by God from eternity, oh, you're going to straighten up and walk right. You're going to raise your hand when they say worship. You're going to shout every now and then. That changes everything. You have been chosen by God. You just think about that for a moment. And not only have you been chosen by God, Peter says that you have experienced his great mercy. You have received his mercy. Chapter 1, verse 3. His great mercy. Listen, beloved. Mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. Okay, now, now I don't care what, what is going on in your life. Okay, I would love to take a poll this morning and ask anybody in here, have you received what you really deserve? I don't care how bad you think it is. Have you gotten what your sins really deserve? And the reason you haven't is because you have instead been the recipient of his great mercy. He has been merciful to you. And what a blessing it is, beloved, that we have received God's mercy because that reminds us of the next blessing, that you have been born again. We are born again. That's what it says in verse 3, right? We have been born again to this living hope. Instead, instead of receiving what we deserve, we receive amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. And that's the key word there, beloved. Wretch. That saved a wretch like me. Amazing, amazing, amazing. That I've been born again. Me, me. Born again. Undeserved. But I've received his mercy. I've received his grace. And it says in verse 4, and not only that, if, that, if, that, if that's all that, that, that God has done in blessing us, beloved, that would be more than enough. We wouldn't have enough time or enough tongues to praise him just for his mercy and grace. But then in, in verse 4 he says, but now you have also received an inheritance. An inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, secured for all, for us in heaven. All fortunes, all fortunes in this world fade. They all do. It might be nice, beloved. I, 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 I agree with you. It might be nice to be an heir of Jeff Bezos. I agree. But I'm here to tell you this morning that sooner or later, that inheritance will perish. It would be nice to be an heir of Bill Gates, to be in his will. But I'm here to tell you this morning that sooner or later, that inheritance will fade. But what you have in Christ will never fade. 
nor will it ever perish. And beloved, here is another blessing. Neither will you. You know, it's what he says in verse 5. We are kept. 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 We got his mercy. We got his grace. We have an inheritance. And now he has promised to not only keep that inheritance for us, but he's keeping us for the inheritance. You are kept. You are kept. You are guarded. Put it this way. You are guarded by God. Okay? You're guarded by God. God is at the door. Nothing or no one is getting by, beloved. God is at the door of your soul. He's guarding the gate. That's why we sing, it is well with my soul. It's not well because of what I do, beloved. It is well because God is guarding the gate. That's what he's promised to do. The saints are safe in Jesus because God didn't choose you to lose you. That's why we say that the breakers may roll and the billows may dash. But I will not sway because he holds me fast. Beloved, we're blessed. You see that? We're blessed. We are blessed. Blessed, blessed, and blessed again. As Fred Hammond said, we blessed in the city and we blessed in the fields. We blessed when we come and when we go. Now, now, Peter says that the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I'm here to tell him this morning that he's going to have to miss me on that. Because in Christ Jesus, I am blessed. Blessed, beloved. Blessed. So somebody next time, somebody asked me this morning, Pastor, how you doing? What did I say? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. So if Mother Scroggins comes up to me after church and she say, Pastor, como estas? I'm going to say, estoy bendecidos. Estoy bendecidos. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Now, I know, I know, I know the grades are not always where they need to be. And the finances get funny. And the children get to acting out. Work is a pain. The car won't start. School needs to be paid for. The school loans are due. But when I think about Jesus and all that he's done for me, I say again and again, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I am blessed. You're blessed, beloved. You're blessed. No matter what else is going on, you tell them, Estoy bendecidos. This brother is blessed. Let's pray.